0: So, uh, we are really, really fortunate today because uh, in addition to uh, hearing a, a little bit of Robin Cami's Cammy's story and having Florine with us, we also have another guest uh, who's a dear, dear friend of mine and has been for several years now. Uh, her name's Rachel Sensenig, and Rachel is uh, the lead pastor of a church in Philadelphia called Circle of Hope that meets uh, on Broad Street and has been for quite some time. Before that, uh, she worked in the social work field, um, offering uh, care uh, to uh, individuals that had HIV. And so, um, so Rachel and I have a bit of a kindred spirit in that our hearts for our churches are really, really similar. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's funny. I was just talking with Amanda beforehand, and, uh, and we were talking about the gathering. And I said, oh, my friend's here. And I, I said, but, but don't worry. She is, like, super trustworthy with everything, and Amanda goes, hey, if you bring a guest here that we, I, I trust that, so um, I appreciate that, but we do have this uh, this shared heart for keeping Jesus at the center and holding holding spaces that are both uh, diverse and justice-oriented as we look to the hope of, of Jesus. So uh, there's kind of a fun and unique theme that Rachel is going to be sharing uh, this morning with us, but come on up, Rachel, and uh, and... As she does, I will let you know that you'll probably in the coming year or so see a little bit more of her here and there because she's going to be helping out when I'm gone um, during uh, my sabbatical in 2024, which is really, really wonderful. But, my friend, let me pray for you. Lord, thanks for uh, your goodness, and thanks for the beauty of being able to hear uh, new and fresh voices that help us to connect with your spirit and your goodness. So as Rachel shares with us, I pray that you uh, do the the work of uh, your spirit in the holy translation of helping us hear um, the encouragement and uh, the hope that sends us out as a people known by love later. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Keith. Can you this right here?
1: Okay. Can you all hear me? I think that Florine and Cammie and Rob already gave the sermon, but I'm also happy to be here <laughs> to share... Keith and I used to be pastors together in our former denomination. And in recent years, he and his extended family have been so good and supportive to me and my husband, Jeff, who's here today, and our kids. um, As we've all gone through big changes in the world, in the pandemic, in our churches, um, in our local communities, as I'm sure you guys have gone through too. But Keith is so, I just got to say, he's so faithful to keep listening deeply to God and in community through these changes and, um, and with integrity. You have a good and trustworthy pastor, and that is no small thing <laughs> in the world today. My own journey to pastoring was a big surprise. It was not my idea. It was not what I had in mind for my life. Um, I was happily working in the HIV community in Philly and um, facilitating group therapies when my pastor and local community started bugging me about pastoring. And it took me years of wrestling with God to finally say yes and one of the biggest areas of, of question for me was about, around being a young mother at the time. We had, we had two little kids. I thought I had worked out all of my gender issues in college. <laughs> and, but the calling from God and my community forced me to confront the difficult realities of patriarchy in the church tradition yes. and in my own family of origin. Um, and so I had to study the scripture and understand was Paul, understand what Paul was actually saying to the early churches in his, in his context about women, beyond about women leading, beyond the interpretations that I had heard growing up. And my husband Jeff and I had to renegotiate some of the expectations that we had of ourselves and of each other. He's a very brave man. <laughs> Because we were actually pretty comfortable in a lot of traditional roles. And so I had a lot of questions. And I didn't really get answers to a lot of those questions. But ultimately, Jesus promised me with with a vision of the, the image of him on the cross with outstretched arms that he would make a way. And that he was, in fact, making a way for the whole world. <laughs> so how could, I, uh, how could I doubt that? And so I chose to trust him. And part of that way that he keeps making is a bigger and deeper view and experience of who God is than I had before. A God who is both masculine and feminine archetypes and qualities and even and and of course beyond gender really holding it all together in a loving embrace and making room for everyone so what i want to do with you here today on mother's day is kind of glance through the story of scripture we'll start in the beginning and and explore motherly images of God that have been meaningful to me in hopes of kind of rounding out our picture of who of who God is um, to find more wholeness. And again, it's really not about, about the gender distinctions as much as it is an attempt to know God more completely, more fully, so that we can understand ourselves and this invitation to keep growing in God's way that is, in fact, in all of us. And my hope through our exploration is that you might feel more included in the story, especially if you identify as a woman, but ultimately for all of us to be comforted that we have a God who holds and feeds and nurtures us And doesn't give up on us like we might imagine a good mother would do. A God who tenderly bears witness to pain and doesn't look away. A God who holds space for our healing. And I think this means that we can rest in God's love and provision in a deeper way than we might have known before. Because she's got us. Her love is not conditional, it is relentless, and not in some sappy, um, mushy, sentimental way necessarily, but, but fiercely creative, always ready to bring life out of death and to birth something new. I invite you to hold, as I go along, I invite you to hold your personal associations with motherhood gently as we explore the scripture. And I know that might be a big ask because there's a lot of intensity around motherhood, right, for, for many of us, and often some painful wounds. Like I appreciated um, the prayers of the people. Often some painful wounds, which can be hard to identify and work through because they're so primal. And I think it's for those very reasons that God comes to us in these motherly ways. Um, To meet us in our losses as we mother others. To give us compassion in difficult relationships with our own mothers. or, Or to be with us in grieving the losses of our mothers. For all of us. And to be with us in the longing to become mothers, for those of us who are in that place. For all of us, God wants us to know we are seen and loved as beloved children. So the creation story begins like this. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I just, I just love that word hovering there. It just it seems to me like a mama bird, just kind of patiently waiting. You know, before any big initiative is taken, there's this gentle presence. I think that's God, our mother. And the whole scene is kind of womb-like to me, empty, waiting to be filled Next, we see God as as compassionately covering the first people's shame in the garden by sewing garments of animal skin for them after they fundamentally messed up. So instead of destroying them, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. And I really love how Cole Arthur Riley describes this in her wonderful book, This Here Flesh. So I'm just going to read it in her words. On the day the world began to die, God became a seamstress. This is the moment in the Bible that I wish we talked about more often. When Adam and Eve eat from the tree and decay and despair begin to creep in, when they learn to hide from their own bodies, when they learned to hide from each other, no one ever told me the story of a God who kneels and makes clothes out of animal skin for them. I remember many conversations about the doom and consequence imparted by God after humans ate from that tree. I learned of the curses too, and maybe I could even recite them. But no one ever told me of the tenderness of this moment. It makes me question the tone of everything that surrounds it. In the garden, when shame had replaced Eve and Adam's dignity, God became a seamstress. He took the skin off his creation to make something that would allow humans to stand in the presence of their maker and with one another again. Isn't it strange that God didn't just tell Adam and Eve to come out of hiding and stop being silly? Because he's the one who made them and has seen every part of them already. But he doesn't say that in the story. What What we hear is that God went to great lengths to help them stand unashamed. I think that is our mother God. As You know, a loving parent knows how debilitating shame can be, right? How much we need a measure of grace, even a little measure, to move on from a bad decision and not get stuck in it for too long. And so with the mercy of this covering in this difficult moment, I think God was showing them that they were seen and understood. Even though there were consequences, even though their lives were changed, they weren't over. And their relationship with God wasn't ending. They were still being cared for. And being seen and understood can break the power of shame. Did you ever see the the TV show Beef? It's kind of heavy. But um, it really poignantly explores this fear that... um, Maybe all of us have on some level, that if anybody really saw who we are, if anybody really knew us, that we would be rejected and abandoned, that 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 we we couldn't be loved if anybody really saw everything about us. And uh, the main characters kind of spiral out of control with this fear until they are able to be seen, they're kind of forced. And they, they get themselves in this situation where they're kind of um, required to open up, and they discover that, in fact, they are not unlovable. If anybody's ever, if because every because another person is actually seeing the worst and still um, embracing them, and I think that sounds like our Mother God. Moving through the story of scripture, I've heard rabbis talk about the exodus from Egypt as a rebirth. I'm kind of jumping around here this morning. I hope you'll forgive me for just moving through. Um, But the exodus from Egypt as a rebirth, that in fact, the, the first Passover had people leaving quickly through a bloody door. And I'm sorry to be so graphic, um, but you probably already know they had to cover the doorways of their houses with blood to show that they were trusting God to save them. And what is leaving quickly through a bloody door but birth itself? And the people of Israel were being born into freedom. In fact, delivered. They were being delivered, just like we say that babies are. Moving all the way into the New Testament, we come to the great moment of Annunciation. I love this Tanner, Henry a Tanner painting that hangs in Philadelphia um, in our art museum. But this is the moment, as you know, where an actual human young woman is asked to carry the incarnation, the body of God, into the world. From the darkness of the womb, through all the uncertainties of pregnancy, God actually has a mother here. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of paradigm shifting to me. That we have a God who needed to be mothered. He wouldn't have grown into a man who became our savior without her. I don't know what that means for us or, or to you personally, except I think it puts a lot of value on this process, and I think it means that we should not be ashamed if we find ourselves longing for the mothering love of God, for a gentle and patient commitment to our ongoing feeding and care. I believe God wants to do that for us. If we have the courage to be as needy and humble as this little baby was. But it's such a challenge for us grown-ups, isn't it? Um, We're so prone to try to take care of ourselves. Even while God is revealing this very interdependent relationship with us through the incarnation, later when he's grown, Jesus tries to explain this mystery to a highly educated man, a religious man in the community, who is he's having. Nicodemus is having a hard time even being um, in this moment. You know, he comes at night because he's kind of ashamed of his own questions. And this is another painting by Tanner. And Jesus patiently says to him, of course you have questions. You know, Jesus makes himself available like Keith was encouraging us to be in this time. And he says, of course, you know, of course you have questions. It's actually not Nicodemus, even though you know lots of things, being the intelligent grown-up you are, it's not about you knowing and providing all the things. It's this mystery that involves you simply trusting in a power greater than yourself to make you new. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So I think Jesus was saying to him, you've you got to surrender to the birthing process again. You know, in a, in a spiritual way, in a way you can't control, just like you couldn't control the process when you were born. I think Jesus was encouraging Nicodemus to let God mother him. And we see this patient love for Nicodemus through time. You know, in this moment with Jesus, Nicodemus wasn't ready. He had an opportunity to follow, to kind of leave his, um, you know, system of religious privilege, and he couldn't do it in that moment. But years later, he shows up again in the story, and he's ready to serve in a new way. He's surrendering. I think to this mysterious process. And I love that, I love that evidence of process in his transformation because it shows that the Spirit doesn't give up on us, even when we're not ready to move yet. I think we see the mother heart of Jesus, of God, in Jesus again right before his death. When he's looking out over the city of Jerusalem and you know, at all these loved ones in the center, the Jerusalem was like the center of the known world at festival time, at Passover. Um, so there's so many people, and he, Jesus is weeping as he sees these people he loves. He's weeping at their lack of awareness of his presence and the suffering that they're enduring as a result. And he says, Oh, how I long to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. Under, under her wing, but you wouldn't come, and I really feel God's parent heart here. You know, birds that spend a lot of time on the ground, like chickens, have um, have a special call to their youngsters when there's danger, and that's when the the baby chicks kind of like come and gather under the wing, or one of the times. I'm sure they come there on their own, too, Um But it's like Jesus is saying, I want to protect you and spare you from the suffering that lack of awareness of me causes, but you just won't listen. My husband and I have two young adults living um, in our house right now, almost 18 and 20, and, and thank God they haven't made too many decisions yet that have caused them extra suffering in life. Uh, but sometimes we can see them wrestling with stuff. And it's ulti- because it's ultimately their choice now, um, all we can do is mostly is, is gaze on them with love like Jesus. It's our turn to trust the mother hen and come under her wing with our fears, hoping and praying that the chicks will follow We see this mother hen's protection and provision most fully on the cross, where Jesus, as you know, surrenders his body completely to the process. Um, and that that like whole body surrender is like exactly what birth requires too. It's not something you can control. It 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 kind of takes over. And so it resonates with me. That the 12th century mystic Julian of Norwich has this vision of Jesus laboring to birth us to eternal life as he is in this moment dying on the cross. She writes, we know that all our mothers bore us with pain. Oh, what is that but our true mother, Jesus? He alone bears, for, bears us for joy and for endless life. Blessed may he be. And so he carries us within him in travail and love until the full time when he suffered the sharpest thorns and the cruelest pains that ever were and will be, and at last he died. And when he had finished and borne us for th- his bliss, still all this could not satisfy his wonderful love. And she goes on to write about how he continues to nourish us with his body through the, the act of communion. The mother can give the child her milk, but our precious mother Jesus can feed us with himself and does most courteously and most tenderly with the blessed sacrament, which is the precious food of true life. But probably my favorite of her theological ideas is how she she goes on to talk about Jesus as as uh, the mother of a young toddler, um, coming coming you know with a dirty diaper to the mother and um, wanting to be changed, and of course the mother not punishing them or turning away but in fact simply and thoroughly and lovingly changing them. And it makes me think, how different might life be if we came to Jesus and or the community of faith like that for regular cleaning instead of hiding in our shame, expecting to be punished if we got vulnerable? I think this this is where a good mother image helps me. And I certainly began to understand the unconditional nature of God's love for me in a whole new way through um, how I felt about my own kids. There's nothing, there's nothing we can do to be rejected. Even when the worst things happen. In times of disaster and failure and sorrow in my life, I, I have been comforted by this image of Michelangelo's Pieta. Um, and the first time I saw it in Rome, I was just kind of speechless. Um, I really think it's, it's the hugest, like, what-the-heck moment in the story of Scripture because, like, this is not what Mary, I'm sure this is not what Mary expected. She was asked, to to give life she knew it would be hard she got all these promises and affirmations from god right all along the way about this like big new thing that god was going to do in the world i don't think she expected to be holding a, a a lifeless body that she raised and uh i think we all have moments like this where It wasn't, things didn't turn out the way that we hoped and and our hopes are dashed and our hearts are broken and our expectations are unmet with loss and despair. And yet, God doesn't let the story end that way, as we know. In staying present to the grief, To the bitter end, you know, Mary and her friends stayed at the cross to the end. She, She opens to that empty place where something new could be born, where something new could happen. She comes to that emptiness. And something new does happen. You know, Mary helps... other disciples give birth to the early church after this terrible moment out of emptiness and loss comes something new and of course we're part of the something new that happened we carry the hope of christ in our bodies even when our hearts are broken and it seems like all is lost in that empty space. The spirit of God can bring new life. I love this quote by, by uh, an old 12th century monk. He who created you is created in you. And as if it were too little that you should possess the father, he wishes also that you should become a mother to himself. Whoever, he says, does the will of my father is my brother, sister, sister and mother. O faithful soul, open wide your bosom, expand your affections, admit no constraint in your heart, conceive him whom creation cannot contain. Open to the word of God an ear that will listen. This is the way to the womb of your heart for the spirit who brings about conception. And so I think the invitation is to trust, to open to God's ongoing care, God who's not going to give up on us. Can a mother forget the child at her breast? The psalmist writes, even if she does forget, I will not forget you. Let's pray together, and then we'll have some Q&A. Holy One, you are beyond our conception, even as you are so normal in our everyday experiences. Help us to know you more fully so that we can see ourselves more fully and understand how beloved we are to you and how you want to bring new life out of the hardest places. Thank you for this time together, and I ask your blessing on each one here. Amen.